0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 25 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Beau Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey.
1: Hello, hello, hello. How
0: are you doing? Today, I thought it would be prudent to uh, discuss how Republicans have been fucking things up since we spent uh, last week... uh, (laughs) what <laughs> they've been I mean, fucking yeah, things it's, up too it's, that's right it's all fair <laughs> we I
1: got to give them their due
0: <laughs> yeah I, I last week we um you we asked a couple of questions uh We had many more questions we were going to get to, but the three main questions that we asked were, is it possible to save the republic? And if so, are we capable? And if not, how do we best brace ourselves? We then spent most of that time discussing the problems with the republic, with our culture, with our society, and how um, woke ideology and radical left um, extremists are fucking things up and ruining that. Um, And then I postulated that uh, we might end up in a gulag one day. In order to uh, adhere to our apolitical, nonpartisan uh, ethos, which is part of what we're trying to do with this podcast, I thought it prudent to point out uh, some of the ways that Republicans have done really dumb stuff and how they are also fucking things up because it isn't just the left. uh, They're not just the problem. They are not the only problem. I personally think that they're the bigger of the two problems uh, for a whole host of reasons that we can get into later. And I'm sure we've actually addressed before. But um, in all due fairness, I think that if we're going to point a finger at the lefties who have who are very radical, I think we should also just point it. Not even radical righties, just career politicians who are just doing super dumb stuff that's allowing for radical citizens to then do even more dumb stuff. And so... Um,
1: I don't even know if I would I don't know if <clears throat> qualify politicians in the converse or I guess I would I would designate politicians as a very different entity. Uh we'll go ahead and say they're human. By all physical counts, they seem to be human beings, but uh they're a different breed to be sure. Uh and when I think of Americans, I don't think as much of the politicians. I think of the regular folks like you and I. So if someone is becomes a career politician, that already says a big chunk about uh what their priority are priorities are and uh kind of what they're about you know with a few exceptions of of people that are actually trying to make some good change it would seem like uh, they're just opportunists you know there's plenty of mm-hmm. opportunity in politics and it will attract people that will do whatever it takes to take advantage of those opportunities and i'm not saying anything new here but uh I don't want to put too much faith in any politician, not even Bernie.
0: <laughs> I agree. And we've talked a bit about this before on the podcast, but um, we're both big. We're both uh, fans of the idea of term limits for like congressmen and congresswomen and senators, much like there's term limits on the president and the VP and the like. Um, in, in part for that reason, the more and more I think about it, the, the more and more I don't think that being a senator should be a career.
1: No, you should not I, be I'm able not really... to get 30-plus years of experience. In the case of Joe Biden, it's what, 37 years of experience in the Senate? That's a problem right there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm not really sold on the notion of a career as a career, and that's kind of a separate thing. Um but that we can get into in another podcast uh but the idea that someone would would want and should or is allowed to stay in that position for so long is troubling to me given how politics function yeah um given how they turn they they're constantly in flux and they move throughout time um and the voice of the people changes over time, you know, in doing research for this uh, this podcast of which there's like an unlimited amount of criticisms for the right. And so this is like I only grabbed personally a couple of things to complain about because there's a plethora of things. Um, I think like 10 percent of Pinterest is dedicated to all of the stupid shit that Republicans have said over the last like, te- you know, 10 years alone, you know. And so um, And mostly it's just faux pas. It's not like things that I would consider us worthy of us talking about. But there's a lot of criticism. And um, I think that it would be smarter to have individuals only be in certain positions for certain periods of time. And then maybe you move on. Maybe you go from a senator to a congressman to someone who works within the federal government as a bureaucrat. So like uh, um, and maybe that's a long term position but or maybe you bounce around and you become a state senator and then you become a governor and you like you try different positions for short periods of time to see what it is you're able to do um at different levels of the government but i mean like you said joe biden's been i think it's actually longer than 37 years i'm pretty sure he was elected to the senate in
1: 1972 Jeez. it's a long time man
0: maybe it was 70 maybe it was 76 like it it you're at least it's at least how long you said it was like it's it's But I think it's even longer and that's literally older than I am. So that's absurd.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's specifically Senate for 37 and then additional political history before that.
0: Okay. That's probably correct. That that makes more sense is that he started in the early seventies and then made his way to the Senate in maybe that probably the late seventies, then early eighties. And, um, but still like, that's a really long time. And that's one of the criticisms of him before, you know, just to go off on a slight tangent, is that like, what are people expecting? He's going to do. He's been a party centrist for forty years. Yep. Yeah. It's like anything radical is going to change unless other people are pulling the strings. But be that as it may, um, we thought it beneficial to uh, to poke a bit about right wing extremism, uh, shitty Republican power grabs, because that's really what what I found in in the research I, I did. the last few days and then also in some books i've already read i've read prior to looking this stuff up the big thing with republicans in the senate in in congress and all that is that um the house of representatives and and all that is that what they do better than democrats is they're better at playing the power game out in the open so they're the ones who, and we've talked a bit about this before, and it, the, the, I forget the authors, but the the two authors go over this in a, a bit in How Democracies Died, the book. But they talk about how, starting with Newt Gingrich, there was this push within the Republican Party in the 70s to play more hardball, so to actively use to the extent fullest extent of the law that they could and possibly depending um stepping over the legal bounds um to play all their cards regardless of um political forbearance right so we talked a bit before about how within the government there's a good amount of give and take and and forbearance and um soft guardrails right so there's there's a People may not always agree, but like in a marriage, you compromise and you get this point and I'll I'll concede to this, even though I don't agree with it. And you can take that and I'll do the dishes and you take out the garbage and next week you can clean the toilet and I'll clean it this week. You know, even though it's disgusting, like politicians have always kind of done that. They they move back and forth. They concede to certain things to keep everyone moving cohesively forward, Um, even though really. Yeah, basic civility, political civility. Even though there's no r- legal reason to do so, like there's no, it, it's just simply because they're trying to be civil. And in the '70s, and I, I'm forgetting all the re- some of the references that are mentioned, but it, they do point to. I think it's 1970 with Newt, Ging- Newt Gingrich is the one who they bring up, and I want to do some more research on him to to get a better handle on what exactly it is they're referring to. But um, from this book, but um. The gist of it is that they started to do much more hardball politics like they would they would fight for things that they normally wouldn't fight for because legally they can. And you actually see that manifest itself. Now, Um, the the biggest uh, uh, example that comes to mind is the completely and utterly hypocritical reasoning for electing Amy Coney, Coney, Coney Barrett as the Supreme Court judge, this justice this year, this last year. Versus what they did with Merrick Garland at the end of Obama's term, like at the end, they're like, we need to wait. It's (laughs) nine, 10 months before um, Obama's out of office. And they were they were uh, Republicans controlled the Senate and the House. And they were like, well, we need to let the people decide. And then what, eight weeks before the election, they're like, no, we're going to ram through. A conservative judge, and it's completely hypocritical, and they even blatantly are like, we don't care this is what we should yeah. do we have the power to do it why would we not do it that literally was uh, wh- uh, what's the um mitch mcconnell's reasoning he's like we have the power to do this why would we not exercise that power and that that that's what i'm referring to is it's like it's a very like he's not wrong <clears throat> like technically speaking if you control enough votes to do this stuff you can do it but the civility that it undercuts is so strong that i mean we're probably going to be fighting this issue for decades, not because it's a conservative Supreme Court just like that'll be a potentially a problem in and of itself. But how both Republicans and Democrats feel about what Republicans did at the end of Obama's term and at the end of the Trump administration, Trump's term with justices. Um, that's going to reverberate within the political sphere for a long time. Unless all the old people die <laughs> but even still, all the young people, all the young people who are getting into politics now, they're going to see that and be like, I'm really pissed by this. I can't believe that they would do this. Like, this is not what I, this is c- corrupt politics. And it it I don't know if corrupt is the right term, but I've, I heard that I saw that thrown around a, a good a good bit when I was reading. Because it violates the political norms that have we've had for a long time, Um
1: I think honestly, actually, that's just that, that's that's a shining example, but there it happens on both sides, um, and and like you oh said, yeah. I think the the, uh, <clears throat> the precedent was set with Newt Gingrich to to forego all the forbearance, <clears throat> excuse me, forego all the forbearance, and uh, play as hard as you absolutely can within the legal framework. Um, yes, and regard, I mean, you know, legal, illegal. You know, I, I can't comment on if they tried to, to get a little sketchy on some of it, but let's just pretend it's all legal. Um, but completely ignoring those norms and doing whatever they can, which, of course, polarizes the situation to the nth degree. Um, rather mm-hmm. than uh, seeking to come to an agreement with my colleagues, it is I'm doing whatever I can to defeat my enemy, which is your fellow yes. countrymen and ridiculous. But that's the kind of thing that gets us where we yeah. are right now. Um, so take that, that precedent of playing hardball, so to speak. Um, let that run for twenty years, and then you get a Trump, and all the people that are going to magnate toward Trump because they want to play that same hardball and ignore hardball and ignore forbearance and, and all that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's been kind of a slow cook to get us where we are right now. Uh,
0: no, very true, and, and I think like y- you take let's say roughly half the population is conservative-leaning. You know, the vast majority of people are very close to center. They have some conservative values, some liberal values. Um, They may be fiscally conservative and socially liberal or vice versa. Um, But, you know, what do they say? 67% of people form the silent majority, which is centrist. Right. Right. And so prior to uh, civil rights in the 60s, there was... You used to have liberal conservatives and conservative liberals or you know, liberal dem- uh, liberal cons- liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats. That was a legitimate thing, which meant you tilted more to one side than the other. But you had some things that you know, maybe you fell on one side of abortion than the other. And so that was your one big conservative or liberal thing that all of your conservative or liberal friends didn't fall on. Like, But that was fine. And now there's none of that. Th- those kinds of things have been removed and polarized and and a big reason for that is this is this power grab and, and i say power grab out in the open because um and we we've talked we talked a a good bit about this last week and we've we've mostly railed a, um fairly i think but railed a lot on on the um the ideological left the the far left um they do everything behind the scenes within bureaucracies they're not out in the open talking about neo-Marxism, cultural Marxism, postmodernism, um, repressive tolerance by Herbert Marcuse and the other Frankfurt School um, individuals. Like They're not pushing this postmodern truth is not real. Objectivity is not a thing. Stuff out in the open. At least they haven't been. They are now. Like everything now is about the heteropatriarchy and how it needs to be dismantled and decolonized and all that stuff. But for years, that was never a thing. It was all in the schools, in the in the administrations, in the colleges, in 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 the bureaucracies, and it was just quietly pushed. Republicans have been out in the open about their power since the '70s. They've just been like, "We're going to take whatever the hell we can get." I mean, I in my research, I realized, I found that of the last like seven presidential elections, the, sort of the, the radical left le- liberals have been much more um, behind the scenes in academia, developing their theories in departments, um, in administrative positions, uh, behind the, backing the faculty up. They've been in um, governmental positions, in positions of power, but relatively quiet, uh, um, HR departments, stuff like that. And they haven't really been too loud about what they want to do until the last couple of years, really the last two or three years. And and that's when you've seen a big push socially for um, equity and uh, um, dismantling white patriarchy and capitalism and America and, and all these kinds of um, very undemocratic ideas that actually mean removing and destroying the fabric of America and rebuilding a new system. Um, and now that they're open about it, no one really wants to believe it because They haven't been talking about it for a long time out in the open, so it's kind of hard to understand. Republicans, on the other hand, have, from the get-go, they've just been like, we want political power. So we're just going to take – I mean, the last six elections, uh, Republicans have won five of them, presidential elections. They've won five of them, and in all of them, they lost the popular vote. I believe that's the statistic. So, like, there are –
1: the fact that that even happens at all is
0: <laughs> – yeah, that's what I mean. It's like they know how to play the game. And so that's the thing. It's like it's about power. And um, what can we do to get the most power with the least amount? And, and in some respects, uh, that's laudable. I mean that's the whole goal of jujitsu is to, to generate the most amount of whatever I'm trying to do with the least amount of energy. But this is kind of like <laughs> taken to an extreme end, you know, where like it, it's – it would kind of be like if I was – employing that tactic against my opponents in jiu-jitsu but my goal always is to never let up when they tap <laughs> like that's kind of what republicans are doing like it, it's fine to do that to a degree but they're basically doing good jiu and then when they get you in an arm bar and you tap they just continue to bridge and hip into the arm bar until your arm breaks and they're like well that's how jiu-jitsu is played i mean i'm trying to break your arm ain't i like that's and, you know, to continue with that jujitsu context, like there isn't there's, there's an unwritten rule in gyms that you don't break someone's limb. But the entire point of what we do is to actually break limbs. Right. And so if we break a lot of limbs, then people don't come back because they don't have any arms and legs. And so, like, it's it functions very similarly because there isn't really anything saying that I can't do it because I'm trying to technically do it. It's just that you're an asshole and no one wants to play with you if you do it, because it people are going to get hurt and it's stupid. And this is the kind of the same, I see it as something that's very, very similar. It's like, you're an asshole. You're, you're stretching the rules of the game just enough to where you're not technically wrong, but you're, again, you're being an asshole. and I don't want to play with you. And it's going to come back to bite you someday. Like someone's just going to come fuck you up and no one's going to feel bad. And
1: well, I think it's, it's a matter of the, of the rule set. And if we're, if we are going to try to make an analogy toward politics with jujitsu, I think we would need to look at competition since there is a specific rule set. Um, And yeah, choose your flavor, no gi, IBJJF, whatever. Um, And I think within those rule sets, uh, if an arm pops or if somebody taps is the ref is going to make you stop. That is within the rules. If you were to keep going, um, then you would probably be thrown out of every tournament, from here to infinity because that would not be cool. But that type of thing is addressed. Um, In a political sense, by setting the framework as it is right now, or the system by which we can operate this thing, it's like the rules of, uh, frankly, any game. And if somebody's going to play the game, if somebody's going to be a politician, uh, it is fairly laudable to maximize... Every possible advantage that that you can have within that rule set. Um, yeah, and and we'll rule out the cheaters for now. Cheaters are cheaters, and they need to be stopped. But if, even for people that are just playing hardball, it's not that we need to criticize them specifically or have them removed. Um, we can criticize them, and that's part of the discourse. But I think the solution to that really is addressing the system itself to to refine the rules. So that it's officially not allowed to do this new tricky thing that you figured out, that gives you some sort of an advantage. Um, mm-hmm. I know you know you've read some Tim Ferris back in the day. Um, I believe it was it a karate tournament that he had joined. Roughly, it the
0: was I- uh, Taiwanese kick. Uh, it, I think it was Chinese kickboxing.
1: Okay, Chinese kickboxing or Thai- it wasn't Thai. Or Thai I think. kickboxing. I think it was something it Chinese.
0: It's probably yeah. I think so too.
1: Martial art of, of some sort, and basically he figured out a way like to to kind of use the rules to his advantage to get points. And it it looked terrible. People were booing him and stuff like that. But it was in fact effective. So that's it, kind of a, a stretching the example for anybody that has not read Tim Ferriss. It won't make as much sense. But the idea is, in order to fix the problem, don't. Uh, Don't come down on the person that is, in fact, playing within the given rule set. We need to adjust that rule set. Um, And I I, honestly, I I, I think that that falls in line with capitalism itself. Uh, A free marketplace is incredibly efficient. But the players, the people in it, are going to do whatever they possibly can to absolutely maximize their profitability. It's human nature. It's what's going to happen. And that's okay. That drive is what makes the whole thing efficient the rules need to be in place to protect the rest of the players from being taken advantage of. So it's not that capitalism and free markets are bad. It's just that there needs to be a 2.0 or a 3.0 where we continue to refine the rule set, i.e. regulations, so that, you know, within that rule set, you can drive as hard as you possibly can and try to make as much money as you possibly can. And the rule set should be such, that it's still reasonably fair for everybody involved, and you can't take advantage of, you know, minority groups, uh, just to your advantage and no one else's. That's not okay. So we need to adjust the rules, not throw the whole thing out. So I think that's kind of that's. I think the, the Republicans have embraced that a bit more in their political maneuverings, whereas, mm-hmm. and I haven't been politically, you know, super active, but for a, a you know a couple three years now, and. In the last couple, three years, the, the running theme for the Democratic Party is that they're a bunch of weenies. They're not actually doing anything. They're not willing to play the hardball, which, yeah. you know, that, that's, that may be an honorable position, but that's going to make it real tough to win anything. And if, if the goal of politics is to win for your team, uh, then you're going to have to play at the same level that the other team is playing. Unfortunately, the rule set is such that you can play very, very hard ball, and the Republicans have embraced that and are trying to take advantage of that. Uh, I'm sure the Democrats are catching up. You know, I imagine there's plenty that we see behind the scenes in terms of playing hardball. ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. by not having the, the rules in place to rein some of that in, it just polarizes everything. I think it's important no, to... No, it does. To, and... uh, look, if I can make a quick distinction here... Um, as we're kind of pointing fingers and saying they and and them and whatnot, that there's a difference, of course, between the politicians that we're talking about, the individual uh, American citizens that are hyper-visible uh, and vocal, meaning, you know, they're all over social media, they're the people that we hear about and talk about, and then the enormous majority of Normal people just trying to live their lives, the silent majority, if you will, um, that aren't guilty of hardly any of the things that we are ascribing to the different groups. You know, we'll hammer (laughs) on the liberals for one podcast. Now we're going to hammer on conservatives for a podcast. But really what we're talking about is the people that choose to play that political game and the people that are on the extremes of either end. So I just wanted yeah, to make correct. that distinction that is, because it's not like you know if you voted for Trump it doesn't automatically mean I hate you it means they got some questions but I'm not going to I uh, to to um, define someone entirely as a person whether or not they voted red or blue that's that's just silly
0: yeah um, no I agree with that completely and um, so three things and I'll, I'll, I'll I'll go back for a second to to wrap something up, and then I'll move in succession. But um, so first, for Tim Ferriss, he was a kickboxing world champion, and he had like six months of training. And what he un- what he did is he uncovered a, a technicality that states that if a contestant steps outside of the fighting circle three times in a match, they're disqualified. So instead of learning really how to kickbox, because people in the kickboxing world where he was in china where he was at um they've been they do this eight hours a day all the time they're serious he just figured out how to get them to the edge and then maneuver himself so that they would step out of bounds and then he won because of the technicality and they actually changed the rule so that people couldn't do that anymore to your point um very very true And, and then the second thing i would say is that um about uh the rule set and playing the game and everything. I made a metaphor a while back about um, Democrats and Republicans in sports, and I think it speaks to a bit uh, to a bit of what you're saying. Um, Republicans are playing a game and they're willing to play it hard, and Democrats aren't. But what I what I see going on this will be a slight tangent because it, it's kind of more pointing the finger at, at, at Democrats, Democratic politicians, is that Republicans are playing soccer. But they're they're, they call it football because Europeans call it football. They're playing football and they're a big team. They're like Iceland and Mighty Ducks, too. Right. They play a little rough. They play a little loose with the rules. You know, they they commit some penalties when they need to to get ahead so they can take out your best person like they did with Adam Banks. Um, I know way too much about that movie. And no one really likes them, but they win. And instead of working hard and trying to work your way up and beat them with with, with superior work ethic and talent, like, say, the uh, uh, the U.S. hockey team did against the Russians in, 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 um, in 1980 in the Olympics, as an example, they went home. The Democrats did. They went home and they learned American football and they learned it for 30, 40 years and they got really good at it. And then they showed up in Europe and was like, we want to play football with you now. And then they don't tell the Europeans that they're playing American football. So they're playing two different games and then at some point Democrats are going to beat the shit out of the Republicans. Because they're going to infiltrate un- underneath and then play a completely different game. Um and like I said I don't want to spend too much time on that because we have we've already done it before and it kind of gets away from what we're doing here but that's kind of what I see is going on is they're they're, they're playing a separate game. And that's bad for Republicans and for Democrats and it's mostly bad for the people because once Democrats realize that they're fucked and if or once Republicans realize that they're fucked, and if the Democrats actually implement and win the game, we're all fucked. So it's kind of a no-win situation. And then as for normal people, I don't personally buy the argument that those who voted for Trump are automatically all of the bad things that Trump is. Um, I don't really buy that argument. Um, I never have. I, I have a hard time understanding why someone would vote for Trump, but I also have a hard time understanding why someone would vote for Biden because I don't like Biden And so if you were to follow the logic that anyone who votes for Trump is a woman hating, you know, a sexist, racist um, individual who's fine with sexual assault and whatever, uh, and, and a Nazi and whatever else you would throw at Trump, you're also fine with the fact that Joe Biden plays a little bit loose with the way he treats women. So. Like, you you have to apply that same logic to the 80 million people who voted for Joe Biden as the lesser of the two evils who smells women's hair and touches them weirdly and kisses them on the lips in public and does other weird shit that, quote unquote, isn't as bad as what Trump did or does or says you should be able to do. But it's still bad. And so. Like, that logic doesn't hold up to me, because otherwise, basically, we have 160 million people who are fine with men touching women inappropriately, and that's bullshit. So. The logic holds no weight for me Um, on that ground alone, not to mention as You just go deeper and deeper into the logic. I I don't find it credible, but I think people have have their reasons for why they vote for who they vote for Um, in polarized elections like this. It's not easy to determine. um, Who you who one should vote for and why. And so those are decisions that I think individuals should have to make on their own conscience. Um, That's in part why I voted for a third party is because I didn't like either of the options or their running mates. And so it wasn't clear to me that I should voting for one over the other was a, was morally better to me, you know? Um, right. So yeah, that's how I'd close that. Is like anyone listening who is a conservative, even though I'm, I'm a liberal, like I don't, like you said, I don't think you're a, a horrible human because you voted for Trump. If you did, I don't, Th- th- that logic doesn't hold weight with me. Now, if you are a horrible human and you voted for Trump because he says horrible things and you're fine with it, then yeah, I have a problem with you. But
1: I think that's maybe that you're, the minority of people that genuinely feel that. Yes,
0: yeah. and the same can be said on the left too. Like,
1: yeah. you know, we we do rail rail a lot
0: against the uh, the radical left, and um, in by all accounts, it's a fairly small minority that preys upon a very, uh, fragile, fragile, is not the right word, a, a very, um, guilt prone and anxious majority of liberally inclined individuals who I think are concerned with being good people. And so will do what they can to be considered a good person amongst their peers and socially and politically. And so, um, but yeah,
1: yeah, for sure it's that ran, I, I, what what that, makes me so sad is that politics itself is is arguing from the extremes if you will you know everybody is yeah. painting the the uh, conservative side as um you know all of the the racist extremists and the you know like you said people that violate women's rights and and all that and the same is true for liberal side with the activists and extremists on that side and when people are talking about the right and the left the picture they have in their head is those small groups that they see on social media doing terrible things and they're just absolutely sure that the other side is going to destroy the country and we have to hurry up and save the country and and defeat our enemies of whichever side is uh, yeah. op- opposite of you um which a is very counterproductive since we're all on this patch yes. of dirt together <laughs> you know this this is all just one country and b it's a it it doesn't leave room for honest conversation for problem solving for solution making for compromise and all of the things that are absolutely necessary to uh, to govern and maintain a large complex society and and to give everybody the best shot that they can have um, so it's really it's it's eroding at such a fundamental level that the traditional arguments on you know policy or, or things like that don't really hold much weight anymore it's 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 every or the the problems are all existential. Regardless of what Mm -hmm. side that you find yourself on, you know, the, the, the reds are going to make everybody, uh, or going to turn the country into an authoritarian state and the blues are going to make it communism, which I don't, in terms of the actual majority of people, there's, there's no real chance of that. There are some extremes that we got to watch out for that we don't allow to come into true power that could actually manifest these problems. Uh, but in terms of, of our fellow countrymen and women, hardly anybody's that extreme. And and we should be able to speak to each other reasonably and find solutions that uh, give the most opportunity to everybody. But if all we see on, you know, whatever flavor of media that you're consuming is these extreme things from both sides, well, then... How could you possibly talk to the other side? They're a bunch of racists. You don't talk to racists, do you? Or how could you possibly talk to the other <laughs> side? They're a bunch of communists. You don't want to talk to communists, do you? Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous. You can't have any progress that way. But it seems that that's that's where we find ourselves. Anyway, tangential. yeah,
0: there's a lack of civil there's a lack of ci- there's a lack of civility and um which is well, it, unfortunate to see. It, it
1: I think it's yeah. it's a form of prejudice, really. Oh, you voted red? Well, then you are X, Y, and Z. No, yeah. that's not true. You're a, you know, a citizen of the United States that happened to vote this way. Why'd you do that? Let's talk about it. Maybe you saw something I yeah. didn't. Or maybe you didn't see something that I can uh, enlighten. Whatever. Uh,
0: I, uh, I read an article where the, the author of it made the claim that the De- the republicans only agree on one thing nowadays they're so fractured that there's just one thing that they all have a consensus on and that is that if the democrats get their way or if the republicans don't keep any kind of power the democrats will usher in a communist utopia yep um and it that's actually a legitimate fear that i have uh i, I think it's it's it, it, it is at least moderately realistic um maybe bordering uh, not super realistic but not There's not a zero chance. I think it's probably closer to a quarter of 25 percent, but that's it. It's like the Republicans used to stand for certain things and there was a good amount of variance, but there was there wasn't this polarization within a party. And now it's just a whole bunch of crazy shit. And the only thing I can agree on is that the other side is way more radical than they are. And then you can actually make the same argument for the left.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying, dude. It's like everybody's freaked out about these super small minorities on either side that um, are not as big a threat as each side makes it out to be. Not to say that it's not a threat. You know, We've had plenty to say about the woke movement and the problems that could potentially bring. But that's not the entire Democratic Party. That's a small minority. Uh, Granted, they're getting a little bit of foothold, which I think is why we focus on it more than on the, the right wing stuff. But uh, again, it's a minority, same on both sides. It's not the entire party, but we we get labeled as that party, um, which, you know, people get prejudged. It's a prejudiced point of view, um, but that's kind of the the current zeitgeist.
0: No, very true. And um, one thing that I think that uh, it's pretty clear, I think, um, that this sort of polarized— and hard, this polarized politics, and, but also this hardball politics on the right, what it does, and Trump didn't help this at all with his rhetoric and his, uh, his postmodern rhetoric, but um, is it increases the amount of, or at least it gives, it allows for those small percentage of people who have, let's say in this case, right wing extremist ideals to act upon those ideals.
1: Yeah, he he emboldened the shit right. out of the extremists on the right, for sure.
0: Yeah, and so I did some digging into that. And um, I didn't do a huge amount of digging. I want to do some more. But I, I did some uh, very service-level digging and found some interesting things. So in the, this last year, um, there was a, a, a large increase in the number of what was called white supremacist propaganda incidents. I couldn't figure out what that meant necessarily um my guess is that it was really just protests and acts of say property violence so i'm not sure how people will feel about that being actual violence or not i think it depends on where you sit ideologically um so if liberals do it it's not violence but if republicans do it then conservatives do it then it's violent but um, and things of that nature maybe hate crimes stuff like that you know um it almost doubled it went up like thirty-five, forty percent from that? last year to to
1: just from last year. Um, okay.
0: So there was, or so sorry, from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. Okay. Um, there was uh, looks like there was two thousand seven hundred and twenty-four of those incidents in twenty nineteen, and just a little bit more than forty-five hundred incidents in twenty twenty.
1: Not surprising, election year. I mean, particularly if no. you're counting anything social yeah. media related, um, just because the the low barrier to entry to if you if yeah if you are a fucking racist like that and you want to express that somehow um you can do that from your basement so
0: no very true yeah. um interestingly both uh ideologically based killings or murders were down quite a bit hmm. uh, i think there was seven seventeen 17 in last year and there was like 54 in 2019
1: oh, um that is significant
0: Yeah, uh, most shootings are single-person shootings, as are most actual shootings just in general. Um, The vast, vast majority of them are one person killed another. Um, And there wasn't really any mass shootings last year. So that, I think, counts for pretty much all of it. Um, But that can probably easily be explained by the fact that people are in lockdown. Right. Yeah. Um, Additionally, hate group numbers are down. They're at the lowest in 2020. They were at the lowest they've been since 2014, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. So um, I was having a hard time with their website figuring out what constituted a hate group. And they didn't really have a breakdown of left and right hate groups, all the hate groups that they... The ideological bases that they showed were all seem to me to be right wing. So, of course, um,
1: it's the S- Southern Poverty Law Center.
0: <laughs> yeah, the only one that that I could think of that wasn't really um, left or right was anti-Semitism, which they broke up separate from like neo-Nazism. Um, there's plenty of evidence for right and left wing anti-Sem- anti-Semites. So, um. You know i think even the the founders of the B, of blm have been accused of anti-semitism because they're close with louis farrakhan the uh um the muslim guy who doesn't like jews and so um was he like the leader of the uh muslim brotherhood or something i forget exactly what he does but um so that was like the only one there's, there's like a very small number of them everything else was anti-lgbtq which I guess could be some left wings. You could be a turf, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. Probably get lumped into that, yeah. um, and th- which just means you're a left wing feminist who doesn't apparently. I don't. I don't actually fully understand what all turf is supposed to accomplish. So I won't go into no, that. No, but it's really um, it's really
1: easy. It's it's a feminist that believes in biology. That's
0: it. See, that's that, that's what I always kind of thought. But there has to be more to it than that. It nope. can't be that simple. Nope. Um,
1: how much have you read on queer theory and critical theory and all the theories, you know, that doesn't have to be any more than that, brother. <laughs> in a logical world, there would have to be yes. a lot more than that, but that's not what we're living in with the, with that conversation. So, yeah, if you believe in yeah. biology, then, uh, then you're a turf and, uh, you need to be suppressed.
0: Sure. Um, but yeah. And so hate group numbers were down, which I thought was very interesting. Um, they're down actually quite a bit from like 2017 or maybe it was 2018. I think there was 800 and some odd hate groups this last year and uh, like 850, 854. And in like 2017 or 2016, there was like 1,100 or something, maybe 1,000. I forget. I forget the exact numbers, but um, it uh, there was a, a pretty decent drop over the last few years. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily want to attribute that to Trump, but it would make me chuckle if having Trump as a president for whatever reason was the reason why we have less hate groups. Um,
1: that would be absolutely hilarious, though, to be perfectly honest, I, I would be curious to see uh, a bit more detail in the data, meaning, uh, is it possible yeah. that there are less groups because they consolidated and which means there could be more yeah. members, just less individual groups or, you know, details count?
0: Yeah, no, i I agree, and like I said when I was looking at the the s p l c website um the breakdowns of things wasn't uh super user friendly. I'd never been to the website before, and so um just doing a cursory glance and trying to figure out uh where to go um it's pretty easy to find articles about things about like what happened last year and how bad you know neo nazis are and all that kind of stuff, but the the functional data wasn't really there. Like I, there wasn't, I, I couldn't seem to find any drop-down options where it's like, here are all the right-wing stuff. Here's here's all the white people. Here's all the blacks. Here, here's all the Latino hate groups. Like um, here's everyone who hates Jews. Like here's all the people that the Jews hate. Like here's how the data has shifted. Like here's all the consolidations. Like there's been a change this last year because these 20 groups formed the proud boys and now the proud boys are an amalgamation of all these other, you know, or whatever, right, you know yeah. um, there isn't really any of that. Or at least I couldn't find it. And so that actually would be useful data because smaller groups like are going to come together and, and grow. Like at some point I'm in a couple of years, I I'm waiting for Antifa to formally be introduced as the military arm of blm as an example um i don't know if that'll actually ever happen but at some point i think it will once they get enough power to have no fear of doing that it'll finally be recognized as something that something that they'll actually recognize but i i i I, I do too but yeah so um but right wing like a like a what seem to be attacks like not that don't result in death but that are very clear overt right wing extreme you know, uh, measures or, or not measures, but, um, incidents have, have dramatically increased. And so that I found very interesting, um, and alarming. I don't like it. Um, I didn't look for left wing mostly because we were going to focus on, um, right wing stuff today. And so I didn't really see any point to look up, uh, for comparison, but, um, given that the vast majority of ideological murder or killings are done by the right, um, I, I would assume that the incidents are also dramatically more um, right-wing as well. Though it's possible that the left has more incidents because they do more protests that don't result in death. Maybe I don't know because um, yeah. they're because 90, they're ninety-three percent non-violent. So maybe that counts. Like I'm not entirely, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm not exactly sure um, of the data on that. Just like I said, I, I didn't look into it, but. Yeah, so the claim that often comes up about how there's an increase in right-wing extremism I think needs some context, but it it does seem to me that there's at least more incidents that you would hear about in the news because there are actually more incidents occurring across the country, Um, which sucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I think it it seems like groups like the, uh, the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys and all that has, has definitely gotten stronger um, and, you know, their membership is growing and should definitely uh, be kept an eye on. Um, yeah. I saw, actually, I saw an interesting thing last night. I forget who put it out, but it was uh, detailing some of the involvement that the Proud Boys had on January 6th. And, and to me, that actually kind of, that, that highlighted what I'm talking about in terms of, of the the difference of the types of people that are in these you know, Trump crowds, they're not all extremists. Um, whereas the Proud Boys, I think it's fair to say they are definitely extremists. And there was a, a compilation of footage, some of which I think was recorded by actual Proud Boys. Others was random social media footage. But it followed them as they, they came together and there are different chapters of the Proud Boys. So they all kind of consolidated their group and then made a move on the Capitol building and you know they were on the front lines they were you know pushing physical barriers trying to get past cops doing all that um and and perpetrating the worst of it if you will um and then the people back behind them a lot of them didn't even know what was going on a lot of people were very confused about what was going on didn't understand the violence that was happening um and i think the vast majority of them honestly thought they were doing the right thing um versus the proud boys Uh, I think that they are, you know, rather than doing the right thing for everybody, they're just making a move for power and and, uh, trying to serve their own ideology by any means necessary. Uh, And and in my mind, it's those people that are the biggest risk. All the rest of the folks that were in the back of the crowd, um, you know, maybe they could just be a little bit more educated or maybe they just genuinely share different beliefs. Maybe it's religiously based. Okay, fine. Fine. Um, but they in no way represent, you know, the worst of what we think of as the Republican Party or the Trump Party or any of that. Um, so it's it's these small groups, and same thing happened, like Antifa's a great example on the blue side of all the mayhem that they create. And then that just feeds the red media machine, the Fox News and what's and whatnot, gives them plenty of footage to paint the entire Democratic Party as wanting to, you know, go destroy buildings. And get rid of white people, or whatever it is they're, they're yeah. telling their folks. Um, both of those
0: things, I think, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and, and you know, neither of which are true. There are these small groups that absolutely need to be addressed on both sides, but it's not everybody.
0: No, and uh, yeah, that, that was actually one of the things that I was a little saddened to, though not surprised to to see what, when it came to the the coverage of the uh, the riot was that it was painted that So like everyone who showed up was attempting a coup. And I've seen some of the footage. I've listened to some, a couple of reporters who were on site who were actually in the Capitol talk about it. And a coup, it was not. No,
1: (laughs) I don't think it- It would be worse if it was, because that would be the most grab ass, disorganized coup in the history of history
0: yeah it'd be you know it'd be like <laughs> a, b- a bunch of former military guys at a bar and they just get all fucked up and like let's go storm the capital like no even let they let's would, go grab the- they would have a
1: plan <laughs> they would have some sort yeah, of a right. plan yeah no this is they but
0: no <laughs> it, which doesn't negate or minimize um what occurred and this is kind of getting slightly off tangent because we're a uh, uh, I'm going to criticize the media a lot more here than Republicans um but like what 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 they did was illegal like they literally broke into a federal building like it's actually illegal um and they should be punished for that but it was it was upsetting to see how radically it was portrayed compared to what actually happened which was radical but the degree to which what happened for the most part and what was portrayed was so dramatically different. It's like, if I didn't watch any of the footage, I would just assume that like 30,000 people showed up at the Capitol to just murder everyone inside and take over the government. And in reality, most people even went into the Capitol near as I can tell it again, this is just based on the footage that I've seen. Didn't know what they were doing. They were just kind of walking around. There was no plan. They're just like, well, I've kind of fallen people into the Capitol, which is stupid but is a lot different than an overthrow of the government or whatever, exactly. because of you know, and um, part of the problem that I see, and again, and then I'll jump off this tangent, is that that isn't a conversation that you're allowed to have currently in the public discourse. It's either a bunch of radical righties tried to stay, stage a coup and take over the government because they're pissed Trump's out of office. Or nothing like there isn't another alternative to that narrative. That's what happened. And that's wrong. Yep. If we don't have, if we don't have room for other alternatives, like we don't have an actual public discourse like there isn't. And it, it isn't clear to me that every single person who showed up at the Capitol was armed and knew what to do and had a plan and was trying to look for people. In fact, I, I, like you said, the Proud Boys were the, the ones in particular that were the front lines. I think they might have been the only ones who were armed.
1: If not, as close to you. yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's a small percentage of the people who showed up. Yep. And again, that doesn't – that's not to say that what everyone did wasn't – all the people who showed up, what they did wasn't wrong. It's just to say that there's a nuance to the story, and no one's really talking about that nuance, which is really frustrating. Um, but uh, back to how dumb Republicans are and how they're fucking up um, – so I said so I don't want to get too much off off, off tangent. Like there's a lot to, we, there's a lot we can we can we can point fingers at. And um, did you have anything else to add with regards to the Capitol riots? We haven't talked too much about them.
1: Not specifically. Which is fine by me. I think but, I think the um, biggest point. I mean, it's it's self evident that it was a terrible thing that should not have happened. Uh, but I think the point that is getting missed is that the majority of the people there did not. Have the intent to overthrow the government. Um, at least, yeah. at least, not when they showed up. Uh, there's definitely something to be said for mob mentality. Um, and and I, I can give someone a bit of ethical leeway when it comes to mob mentality. It doesn't mean that they necessarily escape the consequences of doing something bad. But it, it definitely is different when you're in a mob. But all but to say, yep. it was a small minority of people that really, really were the cause of the problem.
0: No, I agree, and at some point, maybe in the future, um we could have a discussion about uh this is slightly off tangent, but have a discussion about the disparity in how this um riot w- has been viewed politically and socially versus all of the riots we've experienced over the last year
1: yeah um <laughs> yeah. because the,
0: the because there's been a dramatic disparity in that. And I don't understand it from a a, a rational point of view. They all seem the same to me. Um, The only difference I can see is that whoever feels that what they're doing is right makes it okay to riot and burn places down. And so, but that isn't a valid reason to to deface governmental or any other property. And so, um, there
1: you go with that logic again, (laughs) Bo. No, I know, I understand, but
0: um, yeah, maybe. Some future guests we can, who have a little bit more experience with this kind of stuff, we can, uh, if we find anyone, we can go more in depth on the um, why that's right and wrong, and you know uh, why the media is portraying um, all of the the riots and protests and things that we've seen in the last year so differently, depending on where they sit ideologically, because I actually think it's a problem. Um, but moving on, I'm curious. So, Senator Marjorie Taylor Greene recently was stripped of all of her committee assignments. Yep. For people who are unaware of Senator Marjorie Taylor Greene, which I could forgive you of that because up until uh, I think yesterday, I didn't know who she was either. Um, she is a freshman senator, I believe, a Republican who has been extremely vocal about her views on QAnon, her belief in QAnon. Um, I didn't listen to the clip, but she has apparently gone on the record in an interview talking about how wealthy Jews actually own and control lasers in space.
1: Um, Dun-dun-dun, Jewish space laser! Yep. (laughs) So there, I'm gonna let that
0: sink in for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, now, it's
1: true. I, That's not even hyperbole. It's uh, it, it, it's spoken with a bit of gravitas, but it is not hyperbole. That is what she actually. I'll say believed. She has since denounced those beliefs, um, and really, I, yeah,
0: you, you know, I, I don't believe that for a second.
1: <laughs> well, I think it. I think it. Um, it shows the susceptibility of people who do not exercise rigorous thought <clears throat> on how easily that they can be you know duped into an ideology uh, particularly with the availability of things online you know it's there yeah. there have always been a group of people that are susceptible to uh, cults and things like that and, sure. and for whatever reason in their psyche, it just flips that switch like, oh, my God, I know this amazing information that nobody else does. And that makes me feel special. And I know the real truth. Without, like I said, any rigor in terms of uh, investigating whatever ideology it is, mm-hmm. so there's always been a group of people like that. And it just happens to turn out that one of those people got elected to the Senate. Yeah, which is scary. That definitely makes a case for. um Having some guardrails in terms of, I was just going to say that, yeah, yeah. of who we allow to govern the country, Um, yeah.
0: (laughs) So here, here's the thing, though. So I I thought a good bit, I thought a decent amount about this um, yesterday and this morning. So, and I, I want to see kind of how how this sits with you. And so, on one hand, we have soft guardrails. Um, And we've talked a bit about those before, but essentially what those are is it is current politicians essentially getting together and providing that soft guardrail and not allowing stupid people to come into office. So Republicans failed. When they allowed when they didn't take Trump seriously, as an example, Um, you could actually make the argument that um, Democrats failed for five years ago now with Bernie and that at the last minute, they did some really shady shit to get Hillary nominated um, as the Democratic primary versus Bernie. Um, I don't know too much about what actually happened. What I, From what I recall, though, there was some pretty legitimate issues with the DNC pushing um, the powers that be to run with Hillary and not uh, Bernie. I mean, there was a lot of uproar about it. I think the DNC chair quit or was fired or retired or was moved somewhere else or stepped back or whatever. Um, And so, because Bernie's a radical, and by all accounts, you want to keep radicals out of the party. Um, So Trump clearly, you know, uh, the Republicans failed with that. Um, And so you want some guardrails so that shit like that doesn't happen. You don't want people like that to come into power because popul- they, they, they can garner strong populist vote. Um, I, I mentioned this a, a few weeks back, but there was this uh, preacher. I think his name was like James or John McCaughlin. He had the largest radio service of like the, at the in the early twentieth century. He had like the largest r- radio base of like anybody in the country. He had like 2 million viewers on the radio, and yet it was called Social Justice, which is ironic, um, but uh, exclamation point, that was the name of it, I think. Uh, Social Justice, exclamation point. And his whole platform was extremely conservative, Christian, anti-Jewish rhetoric. And he had millions of viewers, and he had a huge amount of support to get into politics and to basically run a, an Adolf, a Hitler campaign. And... Republicans at the time were like, no, go away. Um, Henry Ford had similar aspirations and he was similarly a radical and would have worked hard enough to probably have done a lot of damage because he was a a very um, hardworking and uh, industrious, resourceful man. Um, And so you don't want that kind of shit to happen. On the other hand, part of having senators and congressmen and congresswomen and and the like is to have elected officials that represent the people. And there's going to be a portion of people that believe in conspiracies. series, like you just said. So on some level, maybe you actually want a conspiratorial crazy Senator who believes in weird shit to represent the people that believe in that stuff. I like, I, I'm not really,
1: I'm going to say no, if she's in charge of education, which she was, <laughs> she was slated yeah. to be. It's, I mean, it's an interesting paradox, and I agree with what you're saying yes. in that the the guardrails enable, and we'll call them the, I guess we'll call them the primary guardrails. Um, the primary guardrails are supposed to keep out folks like Marj- Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, it's supposed to make sure that reasonable candidates are allowed to participate, so they don't get the total whack yeah. jobs. But on the flip side, that's the exact mechanism that they use to keep any real opposition that could threaten their position uh, out of the race. That's how they keep Bernie that's out. Pr- yeah. yeah, it should have kept Marjorie Taylor Green out, but didn't. And they used it to unrightfully keep Bernie out. So yeah. it's, it's I, I can see the necess- the the need for a system like that. Just, that, just to have some sort of way to qualify the people that are going to be allowed to play the game. You can't just literally let any old person off the street in to try and be a senator. That's, that's going to be yeah. you know, problematic for a lot of reasons. Um, but on the flip side, there has to be a way to keep the existing parties from manipulating that and using it as a tool to only allow the people that already agree with them on a ticket. I don't know the answer to that. But.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that happened for quite some time. Um, and in the early 20th century, um, I think Grover Cleveland is a good example. He actually was chosen as the Republican primary by a group of like five senators in a hotel room after like 12 hours of smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, and playing cards. Like it's not even a joke. Yeah. They literally sat in a room together and went through who should be the primary. And Grover Cleveland was like fifth or sixth out of the Republican candidates. Like he was literally a non, like an afterthought. And then they're like, well, he, he will be the most malleable to what we want. And so they chose him. Yep. And then he went on to win the presidency. And that that's that's the other that's what you're talking about yeah it's the quintessential example of the good old boys club that it, literally that yeah. exactly and so you want to stop that sort of thing from happening and um that in part is why there was changes i forget exactly when but there was changes to how the uh, the primaries and the electoral college and uh, and and all those kinds of things function is to disallow that sort of thing from happening um to allow a much more democratic way of elevating um individuals. uh and it's seemed to work decently well so far um though it'll never of course be perfect but so you brought up the paradox and I, I think it's interesting um I think it's correct that she was stripped of her uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was stripped of her committee assignments i don't actually care what the committee assignments were the fact that she was on a committee for education and spouted these theories doesn't mean much to me in this instance because our educational system is currently fucked and there's already crazy shit that's in our educational system nationwide so i and the stuff that's in there and the people who can who have a a say in that aren't going to allow marjorie taylor green to implement whatever it is she believes that's bad so i i I'm not necessarily so worried. I think that if she's going to have a position of power like this, though, you need to learn how to control yourself or you're going to be punished. That's the message that I see that I want to see is that it doesn't matter to me what position she's in. It's like you say dumb stuff like this. You don't get power. Period.
1: Yeah, clearly. And and I'm not sure if you saw it, but she was also on video following one of the uh, classmates of the Sandy Hook massacre. Yeah. um, It was, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty egregious in that this poor kid, he's what, 18, 19 by now. And yeah. she is giving him a hard time because she's claiming he's trying to take away her guns. And she also is on the record somewhere questioning whether or not it actually happened. It was... Re- yeah. Yep. That... I mean, to me, that's more so, egregious than QAnon. Yeah. Um, so... And again, she's she's recanted all these statements and, you know, whatever. At best, she's just a fucking idiot who finally had someone yeah. point some facts out to her. Um, but yeah, n- no matter how you slice it, she should not be in a position of great power.
0: And so he- here's the question then. Should this sort of thing be fireable like in that should she be removed from the senate or just simply stripped of the because from what i understand the committees that you're on in the senate are what create the power that you have as a senator if you're not on committees you're essentially worthless i can't remember which senator but it was an old white dude who did something i think it was sexual but he did something inappropriate and he was just removed from everything and now can't effectively do anything because he has like he literally just walks around and does nothing um because the committees are where stuff gets done this is a couple of years ago and forgive me because I, I didn't plan to talk about that and so i didn't I didn't look it up but um and there's probably been like ten senators who've done this and so it, you could just probably pick one on both sides but um is the thing to do to to actually remove her as a senator and then just hold a new election or a special election or whatever or do you just strip her of her power and She just is essentially a lame duck who just is there because the people elected her, but they don't technically have a voice because that voice does things that are uncouth and not socially acceptable.
1: I uh, Personally, I side with the latter. I mean, rather than try to do a new election uh, and and everything that would go with that, she was rightfully elected by the people of her district. So be it. But we're not going to let you do anything important.
0: And that's kind of where I fall too, because you had mentioned the the power dynamics of shutting people down who don't you don't agree with. And that's that's where I see this something like that going. It's like, well, she said something reprehensible. She claimed Sandy Hook wasn't real. She stalked a Sandy Hook survivor and was a terrible human about the situation. She should not have a job. And it's like, okay, well, if enough people get into power that can dictate who says what and what's appropriate to say socially and politically, then everyone will be fired at some point. That's where, that's actually where it goes. And it may take a long time to get there and it may never actually get there, but that's actually the fear. I mean.
1: Well, and she still is a voice. I mean, yeah, she has some grand epiphany and has something, has something uh, competent to share. Uh, She can still do that on the floor of the Senate. You know, just because sure. she's not involved with a specific committee doesn't mean she can't express her ideas and, and make her voice known and her constituents' voices known. Um, so she's not completely stripped, but we're we're gonna take away some of the bigger power stuff so you can't screw anything up. I support yeah,
0: that. that That seems fair to me. That that um that seems to me like the adult way to approach the, the issue of look, you're being a teenager right now, Senator Green. You need to grow the fuck up. You need to learn yourself a little bit. You need to uh, read some Shakespeare. Maybe go back to college. Take a psych med. I don't know. And and maybe start saying things that a normal human would say. Um,
1: well, and you know, I think and the, then, the reality is, is the, the the current state of polarization is not going to allow that to happen. I think in the yes. government, it's all red team versus blue team. Period. You know, either you help us win or you cause us to lose. Are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? Um, so with, within that particular organization, that's that's all there is. Um, and then just as, as a human being to be able to make some of those discoveries for yourself, to internalize those and really change your mind if you feel that that is something that you should do, um, that takes a... a a caring hand to help out with and a fair bit of nuance in order to Mm -hmm. work through that material. You can't just yell at somebody and tell them they're wrong and hope they come to see your point of view. That never works. That's like like telling a woman (laughs) to calm down. It never works. Don't do it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, very true. Um, One thing I found very interesting though. So, Senator Green was rightfully condemned. I don't think she was condemned enough by the right. I, I, from what I understand, there was still a good number of Republicans who, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, only 11 GOP Republicans voted to strip Ms. Green of her powers, her committee assignments. So the other 200 did not.
1: It's everybody's ride or die, so, man. That's the whole thing. If so you're that, on Team Red, you got to ride or issue. die. That's an issue.
0: Yeah. It is an issue. But on, on top of that while all this is going on liz cheney who i think she's the senator in uh wyoming montana i forget which um she's the daughter of uh, uh dick cheney yep. the um the the war hero in the bush era the
1: past president
0: um, <laughs> the past president the the literal war criminal who was never convicted mm. um played played by beautifully by christian bale um She was not only excoriated by the GOP for her part in voting to impeach Trump, but I believe recently, whichever state she's in, they actually censored her, censured her. They issued a censure to her for her part in voting to impeach Trump. So there's like a there's like a record on her file that her state that she represents was like, how dare you try and impeach our president?
1: Yeah, Ride or die, man. I mean, really, I think the only way out of something like like we find ourselves in right now is uh, a mass of public awakening. I'm not holding my breath, but a mass public awakening, whereas conversations like this become the norm and we mm-hmm. elect these people out. And we we bring in people that you know align with whatever our, our personal ethos is and our personal politics. But are willing to talk to each other, you know, kind of that more old school before Newt fucked it all up. Um, Yes. We get people like that back in office so we can worry about things like policy. How little do we talk about policy anymore? We're talking about Jewish space lasers. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I mean, this is this is real. The president of the United States is currently being impeached for the second time for inciting a coup. What? Can we talk about Medicare or something? So
0: it's just fucking crazy. Yeah.
1: Is it so if if we can somehow break through the polarization and, and just everybody calm down and realize that we're all very much more on each other's sides than we're not. Um mm-hmm. and, and vote these and these these folks are fucking they're they're expired right we don't have term limits but these people are expired you know these these centenarians that are making these decisions and they're not really i don't believe present in the current society you know they you know they no. they're rich by now so they they live in their country clubs or wherever uh hanging around mostly white folks and doing the same stuff they've been doing for the last 40 years Yep. which is not yep. surprising, yep. of course, but that's what they're doing. We need to get the fresh blood that understands and is a bit more in touch with the current societal issues on all sides, um, but that can speak from a place of of current need and current desire from the country. Until that happens, it's, uh, it's ride or die. And a guy like Trump yeah. can... can <laughs> he can... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, he can, he can steal part of not steal as in theft, but as in, uh, you know, stealing the unit and, and bringing people together, um,
0: yeah,
1: to, man, there's a word for that anyway. Um, either bring those people together or some folks like Liz Cheney, who apparently does have a conscience and will vote it. Um, and, you know, cast those people away, but a figure like Trump, is only feeding into this problem more. And again, as we said before, Trump wasn't the problem. He was a symptom of the problem, um, although he caused plenty of problems. Um, it's it's that fundamental root problem that needs to be addressed.
0: Yes. Well, he exposed it. You know, we've we've referenced before that he he's the first postmodern president. And part of what I mean by that when I say that is that um one of the core tenets of postmodernism is it's, um, how do I want to put it, it there? Uh, postmodernism gives a big fuck you to the truth.
1: Well, it, it, like, uh, it does not accept that objective truth exists.
0: Exactly. That, like that li- literally exists. Literally yes. exists.
1: Yeah, the that, that, that truth and knowledge are strictly and only a byproduct of power which yes and so it's fucking ridiculous but that's how they operate
0: in that sentence you just said legitimately describes trump almost to a t yeah he he has a volatile relationship with the truth he is the truth's crazy ex-spouse girlfriend or boyfriend whatever who won't go away but doesn't is, is absolutely absurd and he's a he's he's a He's not a megalomaniac. He's a narcissist, but he's power hunger. Like he wants, like he likes power because he likes to be in the spotlight. Yeah. And so his whole goal is to get people spotlighted on him regardless of the actual truth. It's an irrelevant factor for him. Yeah. And his his ignoring the truth and often um, saying fuck you to it, I think really threw not just the Republican Party, but the whole political system up on its head. Um, you know broadly speaking there's been you know like six different party systems in american history since you know the late 18th century um in they, they've broken up every 20 or 30 years based on the big events at the time the, you know the the constitution um issues with slavery issues with giving uh, non landowning males uh, uh, the power to vote giving white women the power to vote the civil rights act um so, on. so there's been pretty big evolutions within our history um that have changed dramatically how parties are made um, the last one was done in the eight, in 1980 apparently and um so we're at 40 years right now it's been a, that's the longest it's been all the other ones have been between like i said most were 20 it was like 24 24 24 32 and 36 years and I'm basing this off of an article that I'm reading. And I can put it in the show notes um, so people can take a look at it. But um, so we're overdue for a, a, a political shift, and all those political shifts were fairly big. Um, you know, they they, they, they definitely were. I, I think Lyndon B. Johnson had actually said that when he signed the Civil Rights Act that he he gave over control of the South to Republicans for the next generation or two because. Of how angry they were going to be about right. what happened. And it was out of that or slavery. And, and,
1: uh, you know, or sorry, civil yeah, rights and, so, and slavery.
0: But yeah, yeah, and <clears throat> so um, and that was actually a big issue in in a couple of other iterations prior to that when it came to um the political parties. Um, a, a lot of peace was actually a, a, an air quote peace here after the Reformation was um was made between uh, Democrats and Republicans and. At the time, those were reversed. Democrats were forced slavery, and Republicans were not. Um, but there was peace because Republicans essentially said, we won't bring up the issue of slavery politically as a federal thing. If you'll, you know, help us move forward as a country otherwise, because Democrats wanted slavery, and that was like a no go for them. They're like, if you do this, we're going to go scorched earth on your ass. Right. And so like, OK, we won't bring up abolishing slavery federally. It can be state controlled. So you have the North and the South, of course, and then everything else we can work together on. And that's kind of what they did is they everything else they worked together on. They did a good job, you know, quote, unquote, right. It Because they actually did got stuff done. It was just unequal, of course, because of, of the issues with uh, Jim Crow laws and all those kinds of things. Um, but they basically just ignored the South and the South continued to repl- r- replace African-Americans. Um because they were afraid to bring it up, and so then they finally had that shift in the '60s with uh, the Civil Rights Act, and now we're 40 years. Some, some, you know, and then in the '80s, they, um, the Republican Party consolidated, um, quite significantly, and uh, into what you see now, which is foreign policy hawks, um, evangelical voters, and you know, market libertarians, right? Yeah. Free market libertarians who don't want a large government, but want free access to the market and things like that. And then you have the liberals, which are cosmopolitan, wealthy, intellectual liberals, uh, people of color, low-income people of color in particular, um, and then um, socialists. I guess broadly, you know, backers of a long list of social issues okay. um, and, and things like that. And so that that was kind of the last turn. And so. Like I said, I think, I think we're kind of due for a realignment. What that looks like, I don't know. I'm scared because I've never lived through a realignment. I wasn't born in 1980. It sure as hell, I wasn't voting then. So I don't know what that's supposed to look like. I can't imagine that in 1980, in the 1960s, you know, in the 1830s, in the 1790s, that these shifts were smooth. I'm sure that they were a little scary for everyone involved because there's a power shift.
1: Right. Well, I would hope that it wouldn't be too much more crazy than 2020 was. <laughs> we, we, we yeah. already seen plenty of craziness. So a shift wouldn't be that big a deal. Um, that said, however, I mean, we, we have a new administration. Um, Joe Biden is anything but a radical, you know, he's old school, same old, same old. Um, yeah. And I, I applaud him for at least making a very good effort of, Taking care of uh, Corona and stuff like that, um, the the unarguable needs that's, that need to be addressed right now. So at least he's, it appears he's working on that, which is good. But once all that is said and done, once COVID is behind us, um, you know, who's going to be in his ear and what type of political shifts are we potentially due for? Um, yeah, which, which is true. a bit concerning. But that's that's hammering on the Blues and we're supposed to be hammering on the Reds today.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, no, very true. And that's about all that I have um, on my end for notes for, for the Reds. It, it's very in your face with them. It's very power, uh, power forward. And after 50 years of extremely overt acts of power grabbing, I think it's finally starting to come back to bite Republicans in the ass I think we're, we're seeing the manifestation of that um, with Trump not only with his election but with how he acts like as much as Republicans wanted Trump to be in the presidency I think he's kind of the antithesis of what keeps their party together because he exposes so much of the problem the rot within it despite virtue of who he is right even if they, even if they would prefer him to somebody else he basically because he doesn't give a shit about really anyone one himself it but himself it just exposes the problems with with not only republicans but with the political system in general and so it's ultimately bad for them but it's also and i think it also creates a it creates a situation of rebirth and regrowth that is desperately needed both on the left and the right but one that is desperately needed where maybe people can come together and say, hey, look, we need to reimagine or may not reimagine, we need to rethink what our conservative coalition looks like and why, and then alternatively on the left, they need to rethink what they want their liberal coalition to look like and why, and come together and actually have unity. You know, it's funny to see all these Republican senators calling for unity when three, four weeks ago they were calling for an unfair election that was clearly rigged, and there was all this evidence of voter fraud and and, and all this bullshit. And you need to you need to go storm your 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 your, your local po- political office and and demand to see all these votes and stuff. And it's like the the irony of that is is palpable, but it, it's also like those words are still true. Like we do actually need right. to come together.
1: Yeah, I. Hypocrisy aside, they're not wrong.
0: Yeah. And part of the problem is that, like, because of the hypocrisy, like, I don't necessarily want to see all of the lefties and the righties who spout all this hypocrisy. Because it's not just the righties, of course, Though that's who we're focusing on today. I don't want to see all of them pushing the unity because I don't trust them. Like, especially the Republicans, I I don't trust a lot of them because their whole point for the last... Fifty years has been power, like overt power grabs. And so, if you can admit your mistake and call for unity as a way to lull someone in, everyone else into a sense of s- false security, so that you can bite back later. I mean,
1: well, it's it's why would
0: you not? Why would you not do that?
1: I think it's asking a broken system to fix itself. It's not going to happen. Yes, um, it it needs to be a grassroots effort. It needs to be. Constituents saying, "Look, you need to figure out how to work together, or we're just going to vote you out. Go, um, and until we have something like that, th- we're just going to get more of the same. Because based on the current yeah. rule set, if they push us out of bounds three times, they win, and yeah. they're going to keep doing that. Um, I do want to offer a a beam of light, a glimmer of hope, maybe a silver lining." as it were. I like, it. um, i want to talk about braver angels. If you are listening to this podcast and you've made it through this far, that means you're a podcast type of person. So you should definitely check out braver angels. And the idea behind yes, the very good, the idea behind braver angels is, is very much in line with what we're trying to do with this podcast, but I got to say, uh, bigger and better and stronger, which is great. Um, but they, um, they they take people from the red team and the blue team, bring them together, and in various different ways, whether it be in a, a debate or a – let's see what they have listed on here. They do debates. They have alliances. They do workshops. They can facilitate one-to-one conversations um, with the point of the whole thing being let's come together, listen to each other, express what we really do care about. Um, and and work it out from there with a common level of understanding. Mm-hmm. Same thing we're trying to do with this podcast. Um, but they they have uh, several chapters in many different cities. Um, like I said, they hold debates that you can either just listen in on, or you can actually participate. Um, and they are very strict about um, keeping things civil, um, which is fantastic. Um, and it it really speaks to the silent majority that we're talking about of uh, how can we all come together and figure out how to fix this thing because the extremes aren't going to do it and the existing politicians aren't going to do it Um, so how do we as americans come together and they are facilitating that in a bunch of different ways Um, let's see if they've got they've got a schedule and i think they've got a couple online debates that are um, currently scheduled they got uh, february 16th they're doing a, a debate it's listed as San Luis Obispo, but I believe it's an online thing, so it doesn 't really matter um, There might be a, a small live contingent to it, but I think you can log in anywhere um, but if anything if anything, I would say, just start with the podcast because some of the conversations that they have on the podcast are exactly that it's uh, people that disagree with each other but are willing to talk about it in a civil manner uh, and a respectful manner so that we can actually um, forward and enhance some of these ideas. Um, so yes, Braver Angels, they're doing a kick-ass job. Definitely check them out and, uh, you know, participate if you feel the need to, uh, or not you feel the need, if you feel called to, we'll definitely participate in whatever level makes sense for you. And uh, if anything, just spread the word, because that's the type of grassroots, just regular people coming together and and trying to get along that, I believe is going to be the key to saving this country.
0: I like it. Well, that's all I have. Should we? Uh... Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: I think this should be good.
1: Yeah. So Braver we... Angels, people. Check it out.
0: <laughs> Check out Braver Angels. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll put a link in the in the yeah. show notes description. Yeah. So uh, Braverangels.org.
1: Uh, uh, but yeah, we'll have a link in the yeah. description.
0: But yeah, so this has been episode 25, everybody, uh, where we uh, talked about how much the Republicans fuck up. It's been a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, I guess that means we're done, huh? (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Will you uh, enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon or evening? And we will catch you on the next one. (laughs)
0: See everybody.